Alternative Radio. This week, we're going to talk about all things heat. This is another episode in our beginner series, and we're going to talk about a pretty fundamental piece of equipment when it comes to your brewery, and that is your burner. We're going to talk about how you start on an oven, maybe move to propane, and if you decide to go back to electric, this week on Homebrewing DIY. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're going to talk about all things burners. This is going to be another show in our beginner series. We're going to talk about this specific piece of homebrewing equipment, considering it's a pretty fundamental piece. It's You got to heat your brew somehow, and so we're going to talk about different ways of heating up your brewery. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon, it's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. I'd also like to thank Dominic or Captain Futcher. This is he he's given to us multiple times. He's using coffee. That's KO-FI forward slash homebrewing DIY. Dominic, once again, thank you so much for your generous one-time support. He bought us a few beers over at coffee so if you want to give one time head on over to coffee.com forward slash homebrewing diy another way to support the show is to write us a review head to podchaser.com or you could head on over to apple podcasts scroll up to the bottom of the app and give us a five-star review Another way that you can support the show is to head over to our website. If you would like to do some shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing, you can click on our sponsor banner. You can also, if you're going to buy Brewfather or get a new brew bag, you can use our sponsor banners there as well. And those sponsor banners support the show because they know that we sent you. I am going to jump into some i've got a lot of feedback this week and so i am going to jump into that at the end of our segment and so i think that right now i should probably just use this time to hop into this week's show where we're going to talk about different types of burners for brewing So this week, I wanted to revisit one of my beginner series brew shows. We've got about four of them. And if you just head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and you hit the search bar and you type in beginner series, all of these episodes are going to come up. So if you're a brand new homebrewer looking for a great resource on all things beginner, this is a great way to find them. 
I should actually go in there and just make a, a clickable link for beginner series. And as we get more of these episodes together, I will. But as of right now, if you just type in beginner series in the search bar, you're going to get all of them. And this week, we're going to talk about a pretty fundamental piece of equipment when it comes to homebrewing. And that fundamental piece of equipment is the burner. Now, I would say there's really only two main types of burner out there. First of all, there's the there's electric and there's and there's gas. I, just like a burner you would have at home, those are kind of the two main ways you're going to use to heat your home brewery. Now, at a larger scale, let's say at a full-on brewery scale, there is also the option to have a steam-heated brewery. So, for example, you would have a boiler and be able to pipe steam through pipes to then heat all of your kettles and things like that. But that's at a much, much larger scale. And most breweries, even to this day, are still electric just because of its efficiency. But that being said... Let's talk as a beginning home brewer, and I'm going to assume that if you're listening to this show, you've either done mainly extract batches on your stove, or you are doing some sort of brew in a bag, maybe at the basic level, and you might have maybe your first propane burner. So we'll we'll just assume that that is the level of brewer that the beginner brewer is at. And let's start with the stove. And I think the stove is always a great place to start because every kitchen has one and that's where most home brewers start. If you're starting as a beginning extract brewer, the stove is a great place to start. And I'm going to say that I think that the reasons are obvious of why it's a great place to start. It's because it's a piece of equipment that you don't have to buy and you already have a stove. You can make the choice of whether you have a gas or electric stove when you purchase your home or your if you're a rent if it's a rental you kind of have what you have. But the fact is is that chances are if you're listening to this podcast and you're just starting out, you have a stove. Now, a couple of things I want to point out with the stove is that the capacity to heat something over the largest burner on your stove is limited. Don't get me wrong. It, it's going to crush a gallon all day. So if you're doing one-gallon batches, you may never need another stove out there. If you've listened to previous episodes, we did do one on doing small batches of beer. And that to me is one of the huge benefits of doing small batches is that it's quite easy to just brew beer on your stove. Cooling is also quite a lot quicker. And there are many other reasons why there one gallon batches are, are, are a great benefit for some brewers. But if you're doing five gallon batches, Heating up five gallons of liquid, if you were doing a full volume five-gallon batch, you're going to really struggle to get it to a full boil. To be honest, every kitchen stove that I've personally owned and have brewed on has taken anything over three gallons is really just not boiled well. And even at three gallons, I'm getting barely a rolling boil, you're not getting a vigorous boil. Though a rolling boil is totally fine for brewing. That is what is needed. But at that point, 
those are the types of struggles you have on your stove. I think really depending on the stove, obviously the model, I would say the three gallons of liquid is about what its limit is to make it into a streamlined process where you might not have issues. Once you start getting into, let's say, doing full volume batches of if you're doing brew in a bag, you are doing full volume brewing. And if your full volume is seven or eight gallons worth of worth of liquid, you're going to really struggle on your stove to get that to boil. And it could take hours to even get it to a boil, if at all. And so at that point, you're going to need something with a little bit more juice. And, and at this point, you've got some decisions to make. So let's talk about some of those decisions. And I would say, and this is something that is truly American. I was just having a con a conversation with a, a brewing friend just before I started recording this podcast. And I told him what I was going to be doing the show on. And one of the points that we we said is that the the propane burner, I think, in general, when it comes to home brewing, is is truly an American thing. And the reason I say that is that if you are in Europe, for example, they tend to have higher electricity voltage. So they have 220 volt at their at their wall outlets. So they're gonna it's gonna be a lot easier to go to an electric brewing system that's going to boil faster. Whereas I think that there's a couple factors here. One is is that you can get a lot of with, with a with a propane burner you're going to be able to get a full volume of wort or even strike water up to temperature quickly to make it have actual time savings to your brew day versus if you tried to get some sort of electric 110 volt not made for brewing type of burner right? So let's say like an induction burner that was a 110 volt that you would do on a countertop, for example, is not really going to cut it. So when we look at going to a propane, you got a lot of options there. So we're going to start there. Once you, once you decide on, Hey, I'm going to go electric or propane. You kind of have to make that decision. Once you decide, we're going to start with propane there's a couple ways to go. Obviously, there's the inexpensive way. And, and I got to be honest, my first burner was totally this decision. I went down to Walmart. I bought a turkey fire for about $35. It came with a outdoor propane burner. It was pretty low BTU. I don't even remember the number. And it had a seven-gallon aluminum pot that it came with. So those two things alone, you 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 kind of have. Hey, I have a pot large enough to probably squeeze in a five gallon batch. I also have a burner that if I throw a propane tank on, it's going to get me the heat I need to actually boil this amount of liquid so that I can brew. And so at that level, you you kind of have what you need to do a basic brew in a back back batch, and you're going to be able to get into that for about thirty five to. $50, just depending on if what time of year and if they have one on sale. So that's a great way to get a burner on the cheap. But me being a home brewer, and it, it is a hobby that I truly love, 
I am going to do a little bit more than that, right? I I want to I want to have some more juice to it and I want to be able to get to a boil even faster. And then at that point you're going to start looking at different models and types of propane burners that are out there. Now, my second burner that I bought was definitely an upgrade from my first turkey fryer. I actually bought a Bayou Classic. It, it was a 200,000 BTU burner. Imagine this being a burner that instead of having just like a a single flame with a with a disruptor sitting on top of it to spread out the flame, this burner was actually a lot of jets, probably about 50 or 60 jets just sticking out in the shape of a burner, and it could really crank out the heat. And so these are the two different kind of types of propane burners that you're going to find out there. You're going to find either the 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 really high BTU burners that are the kind of jet burners that have individual little jets around the head of the burner. And they're going to evenly distribute the heat, which is one thing that I love about that type of burner. And they're going to give you a lot of it. So example would be when I had my original turkey fryer burner, the time it took my strike water. So let's just say I had eight gallons of strike water in my pot that I needed to get up to about 156 degrees because once you add your grain, you're going to lose a few degrees. And so my strike water, I wanted to get to 150 or 160 is also a very common strike water temperature you see out there. And it would take about a good solid 45 minutes to an hour because the BTUs, yeah, it would work. BTUs just weren't there though. Think of it as we have a, a single point of heat that's kind of focused on the center of the burner. Once I upgraded to my jet burner, that burner had a lot more energy that it was throwing at it, and it was also at a wider area. And I was actually able to get my strike water heated up. Sometimes, depending on how cold it was outside, uh, we could get it heated up to as fast as 15 to 20 minutes I would be at my strike temperature. And it would also help it was a lot easier to maintain temperatures with that hot of a, a burner not because it was so hot but because as i could crank it really low it was a more wide distributed even heat and so therefore even at low temperatures it was easy for me to keep and maintain my strike water temperature or my mash temperature throughout the time of mashing if I needed to goose it a little on, let's say, a, a cold winter day would be an example. Whereas if it's at a, a more centralized point, you're going to struggle. And so like, for example, I think that back when I was originally starting to homebrew with a propane burner, a very common was a Bayou Classic SP10. You could get one for about $45 on Amazon. Don't quote me on any of these prices, but the idea was this was a very, very common turkey fryer or crawfish boil type of burner, and it was also pretty inexpensive. The burner that I last had was probably around a $99 to $150 burner because it, it was a much higher quality and a higher BTU burner. So they do range. I, there are some 
there are some burners out there that are specifically made for homebrewing and you might see those at homebrew stores and they may run as high as about 199 to $250 for these burners, but they're going to be much more efficient as far as heating wise goes. One thing that I would say are drawbacks of burners, and there's, there's a couple big ones. First one is the wind. With a propane burner, you're going to struggle on a windy day to get your heat to your kettle. Uh, some of them have wind guards. The last burner I had had a wind guard on it, and it worked okay. But even on a really windy day, you would hear the wind blowing your flame away. And so I would struggle on those days to get the same efficiency as a calm day couple of things you can do is build wind guards around it. So for example, external wind guards around your burner, if you're doing it outdoors, you can also, if you have a well-ventilated garage, you can brew in your garage, but I don't recommend it just because a couple of things, you are spewing off fumes from propane exhaust. And there is a, you do run the risk of giving yourself carbon monoxide poisoning, right? Another thing is, is that the risk of maybe there being an accident, you have propane in an enclosed area, you're burning a propane burner. It has a giant warning label on it that says, do not use it indoors. You just run the risk of burning your house down. And that's just something that I wouldn't recommend just because you have a gigantic high-powered open flame running off of a propane tank in your garage. So I think that in general, that should pretty much make sense to everyone as a drawback. So those are a couple of, that. that's one. The other one is obviously you're more or less forced to brew outdoors, right? You, you can't brew in your kitchen. You couldn't, it's going to, you're going to really struggle to take a gas system that is the size of a, of, of a propane burner and be able to use it indoors. Uh, usually what happens is that is if you bring a system indoors and you are still going to use it to gas, use gas to heat it, you're going to be using not propane, but natural gas. And, and you would then tap it straight into your natural gas lines just because it's not going to burn as hot as propane. Propane does burn hotter than natural gas, but it's also going to burn cleaner. And so you 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 would still want to get some sort of ventilation if you were indoors and be able to blow off the exhaust from that so you don't give yourself carbon monoxide poisoning. And also there's a, a gigantic amount of steam once you're indoors. But the idea is that you want to build out for that and plan for that if you're looking at building a brewery indoors that is gas powered. The next type of burner that I want to talk about is electric and and actually let's I I do want to dive into electric, but I think it's time to take a quick break here. Well, uh I'm going to go fill up my beer and I'll come back and then we're going to dive into going to electric burners. All right, and we're back. And thank you for sticking around as we're talking about our beginner series on burners and heating up your brewery. So we are going to talk about electric burners. And so there, this is where things get a little can get a little complicated. So now in the electric world, there are really two types of burners. I, I kind of lightly talked about one type earlier where I talked about if you have 110 volt power, 
you could get a, a like countertop induction burner. Maybe put that in your garage or put that in your brewing area indoors and it would work, but you're still going to be limited to very similar sizes as your brewery in your kitchen. The reasoning being is that a 110 just isn't going to have the juice to get the heat as high as you need it to, even if that heat is 100% focused on on specifically that that use case, right? The other kind of burner out there is a, a a 240 induction burner. So if you have a brewing area that you want to go electric and you want to still use an induction type burner and an induction burner is going to be a glass top. It's going to be a electric burner, very similar to what you're going to see on a, on a glass stovetop, pretty much the same thing. But if you got a, a, a 240 version of that, which is going to be a much higher voltage, you're now, and it's also going to have a lot more ampage to it as well. You're now in a, in a spot where you're going to be able to produce enough heat to start doing those large full volume size, those large full volume sizes of beer. One of the things that is, I think a benefit of the induction burner and, and one of the reasons I like them a lot is that, they're easy to clean, right? Once they're hot, obviously you're not going to start spraying stuff on it while it's scorching hot, but it's a glass top. You can wipe it down. It's easy to clean. And also you don't have a heating element that is sitting inside making direct contact with your wart that becomes very, very difficult to clean. And we'll get into that in a minute, but that is one of the benefits of using a 240 induction burner. Once again, you're you're still going to want to put if you're brewing inside and you're using an electric induction burner, you are going to at this point still want some sort of ventilation for wherever your brewery is because you are still going to generate a lot of steam. And if let's say you were brewing in your basement or you were brewing in a tight space, your garage is probably okay because you can keep the garage door open. But if it's anywhere other than that, you're going to want some sort of hood that's going to take whatever that boil off is and it's going to blow it outside. And that could be as much as a hood that has a fan that just blows the steam out the window. It can be connected to the window in your basement would be one example. But if you you're going to use an induction type burner. Chances are you're going to be using electric brewing generally indoors. I don't see a lot of people though. My neighbor across the street, Aaron does uh, taking their electric breweries outdoors. Some do just because of space and they, they have like carts that they can wheel them in and out. But for the most part, what I see is electric brewing tends to take place somewhat indoors, usually in garages. But then there's another type of electric brewery. The second type of electric brewery is going to be the heating element style. And so in and what I see with these heating element styles and these tend to be a lot of the DIY out electric systems that you see out there, they're going to be a heating element style that is like for example they use like the heating element from a hot water heater. Very inexpensive. Uh, you can get one that is actually made specifically for homebrewing as well. And if you do, they're, they're usually a, a, less than $100 for a heating element. And then you're going to get 
also heating elements that if if they're made for like a a hot water heater they can be under 30 bucks I, I they could be very very inexpensive one thing with those is that they are going to you're you're going to want to look at what the 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 wattage is on them so for example there's you, you they can be anywhere from let's say 1500 watts all the way up to a 5000 watt and at this at this point you can actually with a heating element because you are heating the wart directly and there's no having to go through the pot you can do a 110 and actually run a heating element as a as a home brewery the one thing with that is it is still going to take a while to get up to heat, uh, to get your strike water to temperature, to get your your water from strike water to a boil is going to take a while. But here's the, the cool thing about this style of heating element. Because it is in direct contact with the wort, you can kind of really get this is where you can get into PID style controllers and you can start getting electric controllers that start to manage the temperatures to within a tenth of a degree and those are all more advanced projects than what we're talking about today and but essentially when you have these elements electric and element style breweries you can really dial your heat in now don't get me wrong PIDs are going to work with propane too, but then you're talking about having to get electric starters for them so that like the, the computers can basically turn your propane on and turn it off. And those parts do exist. And I have seen systems like that, but they're very, very complicated in comparison to electric. It's kind of like, hey, I'm taking some electric and some gas to make this happen. And there are systems out there like that. But what we're talking about with an electric brewery is that it is very a lot easier to go into having a electric brewery where you can kind of set your mash temperature to be 155. And as long as you're taking that temperature in two different spots, you can generally get a PID controller of some sort, be it analog or be it a digital PID that is going to be able to keep it very, very dialed. So you say it's 155, you know your mash is 155. You set your boil to a, a 204 degree rolling boil, boom, it's going to hit that. And so the idea is that those become a lot easier to control than when you have a propane burner when it comes to controlling temperatures. I, electric in general is just a lot easier to control. Another big benefit of using electric burners is that, and this is one of my favorite benefits, is that you can actually throw your water in the night before, set a timer on it, and walk out the next day and have your strike water ready at a certain time. So, for example, let's say I wanted to get up early in the morning and brew at 6 a.m. I could start my strike water heating a couple hours before, and I don't feel like I need to watch it. Whereas with propane, if I were doing that indoors in my garage, I want to be there. I got an open flame. I don't want to burn down my house. So pretty logical. And so electric allows you to kind of walk away from your brewery a bit and, and let things kind of just happen. The third type of brewer, of of heating your brewery out there is the all-in-one brewing system. So uh, I do want to keep this as a separate thing than just a, a heating element that you've kind of done as a DIY system or a, an induction burner, though it is kind of similar to both of these. So for example, there are a few different brands of 
all-in-one brewing systems out there. I currently use one, but the idea is that they have they're, they're gonna the way that they approach the way that they heat is going to be electric, and they're gonna range from 110 versions to 240 versions. You're gonna be able to get which whichever one you want. And the other thing is, is that how they use to what they use to heat it is going to be a bit different. You might be able to get an all-in-one heat uh, brewing system that's just going to have a heating element on the bottom of the kettle, and that's what it's going to use to get it. And it, it is still going to be in direct contact, but it's going to be like imagine the bottom of your kettle actually heats up, and there's not like a probe sticking in it like a heating element would be. Or you might have it have a heating element. It, it all depends on the on the make and model. I will say that the big ones that are out there, like the Mash and Boil or the Bruzilla, they're all using that bottom kind of heating element. It is still in direct contact with the wort, and it, but the heating element is on the bottom. One way that they make up for that to keep heat distributed evenly is that they use a pump and you recirculate the mash back in through the top that that would be one way of managing it though that's not what i do i just stir the hell out of it and uh and manage it that way uh i'm i'm a i'm a little more lax on it but uh you know i i guess i've been brewing long enough that there's certain things that i care about and there's certain things that i don't really so uh to each their own so i would say when it comes to heating up your your beer and your brewery, these are the major things that you could be looking at and the the big ways that you're going to look at heating up your brewery. So just to recap, you've got obviously your kitchen stove, and those are going to be great for one-gallon batch sizes. It's going to be great for or small batch sizes up to about three gallons. Extract, it's going to work great for extract because with extract beer, you're you're generally only going to do, let's say, two to three, three to four gallons of of your batch and then you're going to top up with water at, at the end to just get you to the gravity you need to be to that's at least how i was i was brewing with extract maybe small batches brew in the bag like three gallon brew in a bag it's gonna be great on your stovetop then once you start getting into five gallon batches and specifically you want to have a five gallon finished batch where you're going to have a full volume that's probably closer to seven or eight gallons, then at that point, you're going to want to move to some sort of burner, be it an induction burner or a propane burner or a all-in-one brewing system. And then at that point, uh, those are the choices you need to make couple and other other big things to think about is that in each each one has its pros and cons and it's just you know which one is based on your resources is the easiest for you to get and the easiest for you to set up in your brewery well i guess we'll move now into feedback all right so now we're going to jump into a bit of feedback and I've got a couple of good ones here. So first one is from Daniel Ion, and he just said, hey, just started list, just started the podcast. This is awesome. Keep it up. You sold me on taking on some more DIY projects for my brewing. And I told him, hey, I really appreciate the feedback. What projects are you thinking about doing? And Daniel replied with, I've been looking at the ice spindle for a bit and have learned a ton from your episodes. I think that might be my next project. I think I would really like to step up my brews, and then after that, I may try a ferment track. It sounds awesome. Does Brewfather have integration for it yet? 
I I see custom days seem I see the custom days stem. I imagine that they would work for the monitoring, but not the control. I plan to expand my fermentation chamber as well. Currently, I have a dorm fridge with an ink bird looking to make it a little large to fit three carboys. I tend to listen to your podcast while I walk my dogs. It gives me enough time to get through a couple episodes on my day. So I, I did reply, and here's, here's pretty much my advice that I would give you, uh, Daniel, at this point, is that... Yes, the ice spindle is going to be great, though listening to my older episode with David Osachi, that's going to be a great start, but I think that it's been now a year since I've done that episode. I, I probably should update it again, which I have done a couple episodes on it, but I would recommend going with the the the, the actual board from Joey Jojo Jr., because we, we talked about that in another episode uh, with Open Source Distilling, and the reason is, is that he in his board has solved a lot of the problems that people tend to have with it. So for example, like his ability to have the battery move up and down on that board so that you can get the balance right on the weight would be one example. So those are a couple of things I would, I would, I would tell you also to answer your other question. Uh, yes. Brewfather does work with the ice spindle. Now there, there's actually an integration for it today. So there, you shouldn't be able to have, you shouldn't need any more than that. And if you do go to Ferment Track, Ferment Track is going to have its own set of temperature probes. There's really no fermentation chamber out there that is going to work with either the ice spindle or even a tilt hydrometer at this point, just because they have a lot, a lot of latency for battery life. So for example, a eye spindle is usually set to take a reading every 15 minutes. You could even go to like every hour. And I don't know what the, the, I, I personally don't know. And maybe I need to ask somebody this question, how often the ch temperature and gravity is checked on the tilt, but it's definitely not like within seconds. I would say it's probably closer to 10 or 15 minutes. So the idea is that because of that latency, you're not going to be able to control a PID because you're, you would overshoot your temperatures, either heating or cooling, and it would never really, it, it would just get out of sync. And so that would be the reason why those don't work. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I'm really excited to, uh, you know, get some feedback from you. Uh, Daniel, I, I thank you so much for sending me an email. And I've got another piece of feedback here. And this one's a long one, so you got to stick with me on it. And this one's from uh, Chino Brews, and and Chino is actually the he if if you're on Reddit at all, he's one of the admins for the homebrewing Reddit subreddit, and and man, he he's going to take me to task here, and and I think it's a good thing. So here's what he says: I was listening to your episode on water, and you began by saying that all brewing started as farmhouse brewing and then yeast got isolated, domesticated, and it led to industrial brewing. But farmhouse brewing has pretty much stayed the same. I don't think that that's true. In fact, I think it's demonstrably false. Lars's knowledge is limited to parts of Northern Europe and most of what he has derived from oral record of living people and conjecture, not written records. He has admitted and limited his comments on the subreddit. 
It's clear that from both an archaeological and written record that early brewing was also lar- a large-scale endeavor. Mesopotamian records indicate that brewing uh, w- indicate brewing on a large scale, and the Egyptians were running massive breweries and feeding their workers, slaves, and people be- beholden to providing a week or two of labor, partially with beer. Breweries run alongside bakeries, and the Romans have recorded uh, have records of massive amounts of beer being produced 2,000 years later than the Egyptian client state. Heck, London brewers were making so much huge, such huge, so much huge vats of beer, and prior to uh, Pasteur, that the Carlsberg Brewery work on yeast isolation. And the Carlsberg breweries work on yeast isolation uh, that there were multiple instances of flooding and deaths from falling vat, falling in vats. Oxford and Cambridge were breweries on a massive scale with records dating back as early as the 1600s. So there were multiple estates in England and in France, and the same applies to breweries in New York, Philly, Newark, if my dates are correct. Furthermore, I say farmhouse brewing hasn't changed not, it hasn't changed is not a very viable fact. It is almost certainly has has and did change. I think one thing you can safely say is that certain Scandinavian and Baltic countries, a few dozen or a few hundred farmsteads, are brewing beer the way that their parents taught them and that they believe has been handed down one or two generations before that. So in that sense, they are more there are no less or more unique or prevalent than the small number of multi-generational moonshiners in the Appalachian country or people in the U.S. making country wine in crocs the way that they did during the Revolutionary War times. The risk we run as bloggers, podcasters, or even forum moderators is making statements that is an opinion or conjecture and posing it as if it were fact, because most people are not able to separate opinion from fact, and then they end up repeating it as fact. The farmhouse brewing thing in Nordic or Lithuanian countries is a cool thing, but it's easier to over-romanticize it just because it's easy to over-romanticize Saison brewing. And I could go on and on on how many, so many unproven assumptions there are and stupid because it assumes that Saison brewers are somehow illogical and people of the mo- uh, and people of the past were probably smarter and more resourceful than today relatively to the state of technology. Anyway, those are my two cents. Cheers, Chino. So I got to admit that I do totally agree with you and I do need to be a bit better when I might be stating an opinion or thinking out loud. Uh, I think that in the specific instance where we are talking about the farmhouse brewing and then the yeast isolated and domesticated and turned into industrial brewing, yeah, I'm going to agree with you. That was me probably thinking out loud. I really have nothing behind that to say that there is proof of that and there isn't. And so I think that that is a good call out uh, that I, as a podcaster, do need to be a bit better of saying, hey, I'm thinking out loud here. This is something that I have thoughts on, but I have maybe nothing to back it up and also say that I have nothing to back it up. And so I think that I need to be much clearer on that. But uh, another way I would say is is if you look at other shows, and, and, and we've talked about this afterwards, Chino and I, and 
And what we've talked about is that I, I did do, a, I think, a deeper dive on older brewing with uh, Sarah Toss Stubb most recently, just last month in December. And she talks about you know, daily life of her early humans and the types of beers that they made, and specifically in places like Mesopotamia. And I think that what she pretty much says, and what I got out of that conversation, is that the reasons people brewed beer 10,000 years ago versus the reasons brewed beer today are the same. Uh, people love alcohol we are human, and 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 alcohol and humanity kind of go hand in hand, and I think that that's really uh, w- what we need to look at. So uh, I think that was great, great feedback. I will also point out that uh, keep listening to the show for the next couple of weeks. Chino is going to be on the show. He has uh, uh, some really great topics that we're going to discuss as well because he's a great home brewer and love to have him on the show. So uh, thank you so much, Chino, for the feedback. Well, I I think it's time to wrap the show up. Well, I'd like to thank you all for sticking around and listening to our show on burners. Um, Also had some really great feedback this week. I I love it. And once again, I want to thank Dominic for uh, contributing to the show via coffee. So if you, if you want to follow the show, you can find us on all of our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all one word at homebrewing DIY. Follow us. We we talk all kinds of stuff on there. It's, it's a good time. Well, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. A homebrewing DIY.